Thank you, Jesus, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are the resurrection and the life. And thank you that you've revealed to us that God is love. Lord, we pray that that reality would sink in a little deeper, that it would work a change in our hearts that's lasting and that, that makes every aspect of our lives better. Father, please speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Do any of you have any phobias? Any of you have any fears, things that you're afraid of? Have you seen some of of the fears that are out there? Now, some of them are a little more familiar to us, like arachnophobia. Any of you have arachnophobia, a little terrified when you see a spider? Or maybe seriously terrified when you see a spider? Sorry for putting that picture up, if so. Um, how about this one? This is uh, the, the diving board off of Glacier Point uh, Heights. How would you like to sit there right on the edge of the cliff? Some of you have, have a phobia of heights, a fear of heights. How about this one? How many of you are terrified of this picture? Anybody? I'd like to introduce you to something that I didn't realize before, but there's a, a fear called helophobia. It, it's a fear of the sun. People literally are terrified to get out in the sunlight. They're, they're afraid that sometimes it has to do with their fear of skin cancer. Sometimes it's a fear, or sometimes some of the symptoms can actually be that you literally feel like your skin is on fire, even though it's actually not. Helophobia. Did you know that some people are actually terrified of the sun? It seems ridiculous when you view a sunrise at, in Hawaii. We'd all want to be there watching that. But is it really that strange to be afraid of a massive ball of fire that is, is raging inferno that is, is keeping our sun warm because it is so intense and hot? Maybe it's not all that irrational. I mean, doesn't that seem pretty dangerous to think about that? Yeah, it's a beautiful sunrise, but this is a raging ball of fire. It's pretty fascinating to read in Revelation chapter 14. We're going to continue looking through the third angel's message, and we are still on verses 10 and 11. Now, these verses to me have been uh, kind of an enigma to me. They've been something that I've skimmed over, but as I've been looking at them more closely, I realized I don't think we talk enough about this. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 9 says, Then the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand. If anybody's character is assimilated to the characteristics of this force, this, this, this power that's using coercion to force people to worship in a certain way. Verse 10 goes, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. And we looked at that uh, with a couple messages here recently. And then verse 10, we started on this last week. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone. And we're going to talk about this again this week. Aren't you excited? We're going to be talking about torment with fire and brimstone. I mean, this is an urgent message. Clearly, God wants us to pay attention when something like this is in the Bible. Let's keep going. In the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb, I want you to know that this is a good news message. It's a gospel message. This is taking place in the presence of him who is love. Verse 11 continues, and the smoke of their torment ascends 
forever and ever. This morning, I want to focus in on that word, torment. It's, it's kind of not a positive word. I mean, you imagine with me that there was a terrorist who blew up uh, a number of people, and, and he's taken to court, and it's obvious that he's guilty. He's convicted in the trial. The jury is, is sure that he's convicted. And then the judge comes in to give the sentence. And you're excited because you say, this guy, he deserves life in prison. He deserves whatever is coming to him. He killed all these innocent people. I can't wait to see the judgment that comes from this judge. But as the judge calls the court to order, he says, my judgment, the conviction, the sentence is that this man will be tortured for the rest of his life. What kind of feelings do you have about that? He's going to be, his nails, the fingernails are going to be pulled out and he's going to, to have waterboarding take place and he's going to just be going through horrendous torture for the rest of his life. Are you still excited about the justice that's being served in that case? What is this talking about when it says the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, that they will be tormented with fire and brimstone? What is this talking about? Because the Bible tells me that God is love, that this is the defining characteristic of who God is. So what is this torment? Well, thankfully, all of the books of the Bible meet and end in Revelation. And so in order to understand what John is talking about, we should go and read what John has written previously. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4. And here we find John reminding us of who God is and telling us one of the most important characteristics or things about God, who God is in nature. 1 John 4 verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. This is, this is so important. The Bible doesn't say that God is mercy. It says that he's merciful. It doesn't say that God is justice. It says that he is just. But the Bible doesn't say that God is loving. It says that God is love. This is what defines who God is. And absolutely every bit of his power is exercised in love. What in the world would this have to do with torment? Absolutely everything. John goes on to say this. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. How many of you are excited about the day of judgment? I'm not seeing any hands. Well, good news. Love is going to be perfected among us. Love is going to mature among us. And as that love matures among us, there's going to be more hands. There's going to be more rejoicing about the coming judgment because judgment is good news. Judgment is good news. There's going to be, when love is perfected among us, we have boldness in the judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. We begin to love like Jesus loved. Boldness in the judgment. God wants you to have boldness about his coming judgment. Verse 18 goes into the the part that helps us to understand torment. There is no fear in love, no phobias when it comes to love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves what? Fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. What, what does the Bible, what does John, who wrote later in Revelation, define what is involved with torment? Fear. Fear brings torment. You think about it. 
If you were afraid of the sun, you were afraid to walk outside today, imagine the torment of that, having to face the sun day in and day out. One person in, in our early service, which is more uh, small group dynamic, said, I'd be afraid of, of breathing. Uh, imagine the phobia of, of breathing. How terrifying it would be if every breath you took, you're afraid of that. If, if there was something in your reality that you were terrified of that you had to face on a consistent basis, imagine the torment that you would go through experiencing that fear. That, my friends, is torment on a psychological level, an emotional level, that I want to, to, to suggest to you today is far more important than any type of physical torment. I'm not saying that there's not a physical torment involved here, but I'm telling you that the psychological torment involved is far more serious. And what is the antidote to torment? Let's read it again. There is how much fear in love? No fear in love. What is the antidote to fear which causes torment? Love. Maturing in love, coming to recognize who God is and how much he loves you, this takes care of fear in our lives. You know, Matthew chapter 8 tells us a story about Jesus coming to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And as he got there, he's faced with this terrifying scene. And the disciples are so afraid, it tells us, that they were running back and trying to get into the boat. And Jesus faces these two demoniacs. And suddenly, out of the demoniacs, comes the voice of demons speaking to Jesus. And notice what the demons say to Jesus. Verse 29 of Matthew chapter 8 says, And suddenly they cried out, that's the demons inside of the demoniacs, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Jesus, you're coming to torment us. Now, I don't know if they were trying to say that in order to deceive the disciples about what Jesus was like. So the disciples would be like, hey, who is this guy? He's going to torment us? We better get away from him. Or it's possible that just coming in contact with Jesus and knowing that he could cast them into the abyss, that they wouldn't be able to to have the, the devilish joy of tormenting these demoniacs, and they were going to be cast out. Maybe that in and of itself was torment to come in contact with the presence of Jesus. James chapter 2 verse 19 says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. They're afraid of God. They look at him as one who's ready to torment, one who's ready to uh, punish, one who is hoping to keep you out of heaven, one who would delight in sustaining your life throughout unending ages so that you could writhe in pain while he tortured you. Friends, this has created more atheists in our world than any other uh, doctrine that is supposedly from the Bible, which... I believe over the coming weeks we'll discover is not taught in the Bible, but we're not going to go into a whole lot of detail about that today. Let's keep going and look at Revelation chapter 6 where we see what this torment of fear looks like as Jesus is coming back. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 15, it says, And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in the caves, in the rocks of the mountains. This is a picture. Jesus is coming back in the clouds of heaven. And as he's coming back, what, is all of the, what are all of the powerful people on the planet doing? They're running. They're hiding. They're going to the caves and the rocks and the mountains. Now notice what he goes on to say. And they said to the mountains and rocks, 
fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Are they afraid of physical torture from Jesus? There's something else going on. There's such a torment of fear that it would be like ice cream to them for them, the rocks to fall on them. They're going through something that they wish that their existence was, that they were put out of their misery in that moment. Fear, as you see Jesus coming back, for some people will be beyond what they can handle. It'll be torment. But there's good news. I hope that, that most of us will be in this second group of people that's talked about in Isaiah chapter 25 and verse 9. It says, And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. There's going to be two groups of people. There's people that aren't terrified about all the physical things that are going on on the planet. Sometimes we get so fixated on that, and we're not worried about our own hearts. There'll be people who are, are, are terrified of Jesus, and they're running and asking the rocks to fall on them. But then there's another group who say, Behold, this is our God. We've waited for him, and he will save us. He's a savior. He's come for me. I know that he's good. I know what he's like. I trust him. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. There's a group of people who are filled with joy at the same exact event. The reality that's, that's portrayed here is that we all, as human beings, are destined for the same thing, and that is the unveiled presence of God Almighty. And for some, there will be the torment of fear. For others, there will be the joy of seeing their God and their Savior come back to save them. Well, why? Why would this make anybody want to run and hide in the caves? Why would this be so terrifying? Well, Enoch, we're told, in Jude, uh, Enoch, who is the seventh from, from, from Adam, he was the one who was translated to heaven. He testified about the second coming of Jesus. And he said, this is what it's going to be like. He's telling the people before the days of the flood. And he says, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his saints to execute judgment on all. Everybody's going to experience judgment. And you, my friend, can have boldness about judgment when you're perfected in the love of God, when you come to know his love for you. But notice what it goes on to say. To convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way. There's, there's a moment of revelation as Jesus comes back in all of his glory and all of his self, selflessness and his love is revealed there's a conviction that takes place in every heart and every mind. There's a convincing, a recognition of the harmfulness of sin. And if we try to distract ourselves from that in this life, and we try to just ignore our sin, we try to not bring it to the feet of Jesus, we don't participate in confessing our sins and say, God, I, I need you as a Savior. If we don't participate in that now, on that day, we're going to be tormented at seeing the presence of Jesus. And it goes on to say, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Can you imagine, like we talked about a few weeks ago, if suddenly there was a button that I could push up here, and suddenly in that moment, you could see every single action, every single thought, every, everything in your entire life that has been out of character with God's selfless love. Imagine the weight that that would press upon you. Imagine the inner turmoil. Imagine the shame, the guilt, how horrendous that would be. 
And we see that revealed particularly in Jesus. We'll get to that again in a minute. You know, it helps me in thinking about this to imagine. Imagine that it's been two weeks since you had a shower. You've been holed up in your room. Uh, you, you just were hanging out in your room for two weeks for some reason. And you didn't have a shower during that entire two weeks. And you didn't brush your teeth. Your, your place is a total wreck. It's a disaster. And suddenly, the doorbell rings. You, you go over to the door, and as you, you open the door, there she stands, Queen Elizabeth, in all of her dazzling beauty of queenness. And, and she's the, the one who, who knows how your table should be set and where every piece of silverware should go. She's the one who always dresses perfectly, who has the palace in perfect order. And, and there she is standing at your doorstep. How do you feel in that moment? In your two weeks of unshoweredness and unbrushed teeth, what feelings come over you? The, imagine the shame you know, I could tell you what I'd do. I'd immediately slam the door and run and, and hide. I mean, I'd, I'd want nothing to, I wouldn't want to be in her presence. This is the picture of what people will be experiencing as Jesus comes back. He's there in all of his dazzling beauty. And it's hard for us to imagine. We kind of think, well, yeah, Jesus is great. He just, when you see somebody in perfect beauty and purity, in holiness, holiness means he's totally different. He's, he's completely loving, self-sacrificing always relationally faithful to every single person in every area of his life. And when you see that in all of its glory, suddenly you want to hide if you haven't begun to experience that before that moment comes. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 24 says, Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Uh, hang with me here for a second. This is saying, look, there's some people whose sin gets revealed before the judgment, uh, before the, the, the final judgment. But then there's some whose sin follows them. There, there's some who, who haven't dealt with their sin leading up to that moment of seeing Jesus. And there's others who have, have dealt with their sin leading up to that moment. You don't want to come to that moment of face-to-face with Jesus and haven't let him process the sin and the guilt in your life. To realize that he's merciful, he's loving, he's gracious. Because in that moment you will be terrified of him if you haven't come to recognize day in and day out that he's an infinite God of love who cares about you, who would lay down his life for you, who just wants to help save you and heal you from the sin in your life. Romans chapter 2 again picks this up. And in Romans chapter 2... Romans chapter 1 has described what wrath is like, how it's a giving over to the sinful nature that people are choosing and people in themselves reap the consequences of the choices that they're making. And then it goes on to say, but even worse than that, in Romans chapter 2, the first few verses, it says, you who judge, you're condemning yourself. When you point a finger, Paul's basically saying there's three fingers pointing back at you. You condemn yourself when you're judging. We talked a couple of weeks back about the power of the tongue. It has the power of life. And the power of death. It, Paul says, w- when you're judging people, it, it just condemns you. And he says, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and mercy, not realizing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, to want a change in your life? And then he goes on to say this, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, 
hardness, uh, saying that your heart is, is not changeable, impenitent, saying that, that your heart is unwilling to shift directions, to go in a new direction. You know, as we think about the sun shining, this, this could be, you could see this in the parables that Jesus tells. He tells about the parable of, of the seed that the sower sows. And as he sowed seed into the field, some seed, it's scorched by the sunshine. But other seed that falls on good soil, it bears a hundredfold. What makes the difference? The sun's shining on both. Uh, you could look at this as an example of imagine that we go outside and we put some clay out on that, that brick around the fountain. We put some clay out there. And then we take a tub of margarine and we put it out there on that same brick wall. The same sunshine is affecting both of them. What's going to happen to those objects on that brick wall? The brick, I mean the, the clay, what's going to happen to it? It's become hard. Same sunshine. It's going to be shining on the tub of margarine. And what's going to happen to that tub of margarine? It's going to melt. It's going to become soft. Because if, if you choose hardness, you choose to, to go against God, you choose against his selfless love, as revealed in his law of love, as revealed throughout the Bible, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath. In the day of wrath, so, so you're beginning to, to accumulate this wrath. It's, it's beginning to pile up for you. It's, 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 it's like a reservoir of shame and guilt inside of you. And it says, and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. When there's a revelation, when there's a revealing of who God is, because right now there's a veil between us and God. Moses says in Exodus, or God says to Moses, no man can see my face and live. But in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, we find that it says they see his face for his name is written in their forehead. They, they finally come face to face with God. And when that moment comes, we've got to have been beholding his face now and letting him handle, bring healing for the sin in our life now in order that we can handle that moment. Because he says, for those who are hardening their hearts, you're treasuring up this, this store of shame and guilt inside of you psychologically that it's, you may be ignoring it. You know, there's a number of different ways you can ignore the sin and sh- that brings shame and guilt in your life. You can say, no, it's not that big of a deal. I, I don't think God knows what he's talking about. You can, you can determine that God's not like that. He doesn't really care about these things. This, this is not who God is. And you can, you can get, distract yourself by that. You can also turn to your addictions and try to self-medicate. Try to solve the problem that's inside of you. Try to solve those negative emotions and feelings that are caused by sin by medicating through various means, be it drugs and alcohol or food or anything else. Or you can choose to judge people like Paul says. You can criticize others, tear them down, and say, well, compared to them, I'm doing pretty good. I'm set to go. They're the ones with the problem. They're going to be in trouble in the judgment. And the more that you look at the world around you and you say, look at all those problems out there. If only everybody understood the world like I did. And that pride can harden my heart and your heart. Or I can simply turn and look at the sun and allow the sun of righteousness to melt my heart, to transform my heart, to take care of the sin that is so deeply ingrained in me. There's coming a day of revelation of the righteous judgment of God when God, without even having to say a word, reveals himself and there will be torment inside of some and there will be joy inside of others. 
Because he will render to each according to his deeds. They'll experience the fruit of that sin that God has been holding back and letting us experience the full emotional weight and the full psychological burden of our sin. But notice what it says again in verse 7. Eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for glory, honor, and immortality. Those who have been patiently saying, I'm going to keep in line with God's character. I'm going to keep loving even though this world is getting crazy. I'm going to keep on not reacting in kind. I'm going to love to the very end. They're going to experience a reward. But notice verse 8. But to those who are self-seeking, to those who are selfish, who are about self-preservation, about me, about guarding my reputation, about worrying about what anybody thinks of me, about all sin can be defined as selfishness. And do not obey the truth. That's the truth about who God is. But obey unrighteousness, notice this, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every, what is that word? Every soul of man who does evil. They're going to experience tribulation and anguish at a soul level. You remember how we talked a few weeks ago that Jesus said, don't fear him who can kill the body. Don't just worry about a physical end of your existence. Worry about he who can cast both your body and your soul into hell. Worry about coming in contact with God without first coming to love him. Tribulation and anguish on every soul. It's at the psychological, the, the, the soul level, the psyche. Jesus experienced this. We looked at this on that same week, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 37. He's going into the Garden of Gethsemane. It says, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Nobody's touched him. Nobody's laid a finger upon him. But he is experiencing torment. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And as he prays about that cup, that that reservoir of wrath and shame and guilt that is built up inside of every human being that Jesus willingly was drinking for you and me, after he finally agreed to drink it, he fell to the ground dying. He had to be sustained by an angel. Now that is torment on a level that goes far beyond any type of physical torture that you can even fathom. Thankfully, there's a a picture of two groups of people in the end. The first picture, like we've said, is of those who want to run and hide in the caves. And it's of those who are consumed by the presence of Jesus coming back. Malachi chapter 4 says, For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven, and all the proud. That's, that's the ones who have so much pride that, that we're ignoring our sin. We don't want to face it. We don't want to look at Jesus' face now, and we're hiding from all of that shame. Yes, all who do wicked will be, what does it say? Stubble. They'll be burned up in a second. All, and that day which is coming shall burn them up says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. If it ended there, that would be a pretty uh, solemn uh, verse. But thankfully it continues. It says, but to you who fear my name, who, who uh, revere my character, who are in awe of my incredible love for this universe, to you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will arise. The, the, there's going to be a sunrise in human hearts. The sun of righteousness will arise 
with healing in his wings. Now that word for wings can also be used for rays of light. There's healing in the sun's rays. Did you know that? There's healing power in sunlight. I encourage you to get sunlight. Make sure you got your vitamin D. It's great for the pandemic that we're in. But you know that they actually have done studies, numerous different studies. One of them uh, was done on a particular type of fungal infection on people that, that is transmitted on their clothes. And they found that if those people spent more time out in the sunlight or put their clothes out in the sun, go figure. They wouldn't transmit the disease. But other people have a problem, and especially other parts of the world, with their drinking water. There's little microbes in there that are pretty dangerous. But there's solar purification systems that are taking care of that for people. And they've actually promoted uh, that people can take a water bottle, a bigger water bottle than this, obviously, and you can fill it full of water. You can put it out in the sun. Now, kids, don't try this. It's probably not worth it to take your pond water and do this. But if you were in that situation, it's not a bad idea. Um, You take a, a big plastic bottle of water and you put it out in the sun for six to eight hours. And they found that most of the microbes are taken care of, and you can drink that water. There's healing in the sun's rays. But if, if you and I were, were transported just, just 1.4 million kilometers closer to the sun, if the earth was just a little bit out of the habitable zone that is so small, it's only four times the distance to the moon, it's nowhere near the, really getting that close to the sun, instantly all life on this earth would wouldn't be able to survive. We would not be able to make it. We have to gradually experience the light. We cannot suddenly expose ourselves to an immense amount of light. We talked a few weeks about, ago about those who have gone into caves to see how long they could be alone in the darkness. You know what, that when they come out of the caves, they can't just come out without sunglasses on. In fact, they put these special goggles on them that have really thick, dark lenses so that they can handle the sunlight when they come out of that cave after being in darkness. We need to be exposed to the light and the gradual sun rising in our hearts. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the righteous is the like the light of dawn that grows brighter and brighter until the full light of day. The sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You shall trample the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. There's coming a day with two groups of people. Those who say, this is our God, we have waited for him. And those who are running and wanting to be consumed and God in his mercy and love will put an end to the wicked because that is what they want most. Look at that sunset, or sunrise. We'd love to all be in Hawaii, probably rather than sitting here in a church in Templeton. I remember going out backpacking and being so freezing cold in the morning, I would get up and go out to read my Bible, and I'd be sitting on a rock just waiting for the sun to rise. And in the mountains, it takes longer because there's always a mountain nearby that's, that it takes a while for the sun to finally peak over the top of that ridge. But once it does, you begin to feel the warmth of the rays of sunlight. And, and suddenly everybody starts to come out of their tents because there's, there's life. The sun is shining on us. There's healing in the sun of righteousness. There's cleansing power when you, when you gaze upon Jesus in all of his beauty. 
Testimonies for Ministers, page 388, says it this way. If we gaze even a moment upon the sun in its meridian glory, when we turn away our eyes, the image of the sun will appear in everything upon which we look. Again, don't try this. I tried it as a kid, though, and literally, you'll see this little, like, flashing glow on everything if you stare at the sun. I'm, I'm serious. Don't do it. It's really bad for your eyes. Thus it is when we behold Jesus. Everything we look upon reflects his image, the son of righteousness. We can't see anything else or talk about anything else. Jesus becomes absolutely everything. And until that's the reality in my heart and your heart, we are not ready to meet Jesus. Stop worrying about what the world is doing and worry about getting to know Jesus. Spend time looking and looking and looking at Jesus and his infinite love. We cannot see anything else or talk of anything else. His image is imprinted upon the eye of the soul and affects every portion of our daily life, softening and subduing our whole nature. As we look and look and look at Jesus, we start treating people differently. We start acting differently, not because we have to, but because we want to love like he loves, because we're changed from the inside out. By beholding, we are conformed to the divine similitude, even the likeness of Christ. And to all whom we associate, we reflect the bright and cheerful beams of his righteousness. People around us will know the good news because they came in contact with you. They see the joy in you. They see that though they're filled with fear, that you have joy in Jesus. That you have confidence in his perfect love, which casts out all fear. That's what I want more and more. How about you? I want to be filled with a son of righteousness. I want to look and look and look to Jesus. I want to take my Bible and say, Jesus... How are you revealed from, page, from, from, from cover to cover in this book? How do I see you in Leviticus? How do I see you in Revelation? And if you're, you're unfamiliar with the Bible, start with just looking straight at Jesus in the Gospels. Read the stories about Jesus. Wake up in the morning to the sunrise because that will bring healing to your soul. 1 John 4.18 said, There is... No fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. God wants to perfect us in love, to mature us in love. And how does that take place? Verse 19 continues. We love him because he first loved us. It's not by figuring out all of the devil's schemes that we are saved in the end. Are you listening? How we are saved in the end is by coming to know Jesus and his love. This is the only path of salvation in the, there is only one name by which we are saved in the end. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, my daughters, I told you, have a fear of animals. They have, uh, not of all animals, they love to go to the zoo, they love to see a lot of animals. In fact, they like to go on walks to point out the animals. But for some reason, if they are on their own two feet, and they see a cat, or they see a dog, they're terrified. So, uh, I think it was last Sunday, uh, Joy Chalker came up to the, the, the um, farm with her little dog. Now, I don't remember which girl it was, but when they saw her dog, you know what they did? They screamed, ah! They were terrified of the dog. Now, Joy's dog is not a scary dog. Nico is a Pomeranian, and my daughters were terrified of Nico. But you know, 
Joy kept bringing them around and saying, don't you want to pet him? He's, he's kind of fluffy. And eventually, Millie brought him over to the playground where we were playing in the playground. And, you know, I turned my back for a while, and suddenly I turned around, and this is what I saw. My girls were so excited. They were petting Nico. They were feeling his, his fluffy fur, and they were so happy. They said, we're petting the doggy. We're petting the doggy. You see, they came to recognize that this dog loved them, that this dog was sweet, that this dog was not going to harm them. And they were able to come up to that dog. Jesus is longing to bring us to that same place with him. We're no longer afraid, but we're perfected in fear. And we have boldness about the judgment. Not a, a naive boldness where we haven't come in contact with a living Savior, but a boldness that is based upon the fact that we've opened up absolutely everything to Jesus. We've allowed him into every nook and cranny of our heart. And we say, Jesus, I trust you completely. I'm yours. This is my God, and he will save us. God's longing to cast out all fear. And the result of that, First John goes on to conclude with this. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Now, I, I, I added these verses in here because it's easy for us to sit here and say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus. It's great. I know Jesus, and I love Jesus. I love God. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. There's a lot of people that have told me, I'm not afraid of Why would I ever be afraid of him? Why would I run to the rocks and the holes and the caves? Why, why would I want to die in his presence? How is it with you and the people around you? How is it with the enemies in your life, the difficult people in your life. Because John also writes and says, if someone says, I love God and I'm good with God and I don't, I'm, I'm happy with meeting him and hates his brother, he's lying. That, that pricks me to the heart. This is one of the most difficult teachings in the Bible. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? Until I see Jesus in you and every person I come into contact with, I'm not ready to meet Jesus on that day. So keep looking to Jesus. We love because he first loved us. We can't work up a love for each other, but we can look and look and look at the Son of Righteousness until we are transformed by the rays of his light. The, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, and we will be led to love. We'll be freed from our fear of judgment. We'll be freed from our fear of condemnation. And we won't have to be afraid of torment in the end because we have come in contact with the Son of Righteousness. How many of you want that for your lives? How many of you want to say, I don't know what it takes, but I want to open my Bible a little more often. I want to take a little bit more time to look and look and look and look at Jesus. I don't want to be tormented on that day. I want to be filled with joy that my Savior is coming back. If that's your desire, I just want to invite you to stand with me as we pray. Father, we're standing now in recognition that we don't have what it takes to stand in your presence. You are incredibly awesome, beyond what we can fathom. And, and Lord, sin has a way of making you small in our eyes. Please forgive us, Lord. Help us to open our hearts. Help us to let you search deep down into the nooks and crannies to allow you to reveal the things that are unloving in us so that we can open our, our hearts to your forgiving love and allow the Son of Righteousness to bring healing to our hearts through the rays of his light. Father, please pour out your Holy Spirit on my friends 
as they go from this place, may you fill them with your Holy Spirit. May you transform them and heal them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you are love and that you've given us the invitation to look and look and look. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.